Well, as you may have gathered, uh, we are uh, launching a brand new series today uh, in Luke's Gospel. Uh, We're going to be spending a little while kind of working through uh, the whole Gospel of Luke over the next few weeks, uh, months, uh, possibly even years. Uh, A couple of things that have driven me to do this series. First of all, as some of you will know, uh, I had several months off earlier on in the year with a bad back. And one of the things that happened for me during that time was something of a reawakening of my passion for Jesus. I mean, I didn't have a whole lot else to do, so I ended up kind of rereading the Gospels and reflecting all over again on the words of Jesus and the way that he acted. The result has been I've grown massively in my love of Jesus and my desire to become more like him. I've come away from the Gospels hungry again to be holy and to be real and authentic, not to play church or play religion, not to fritter away my life with things that just aren't really particularly essential. And all of these longings have driven me to pray that God would work in me and not allow me just to kind of creep along quite so slowly in my quest to become more like Jesus. More than anything else, this is what's fueled my desire to study and preach from one of the Gospels. The other thing that's been living with me is the great commission that crops up right at the end of the gospel. The words have kept coming back to me, the words of Jesus, where he says, teach them, them being kind of the followers of Jesus down through history, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. It's like Jesus is saying that the mission of those he sends is to teach all the things that he commanded and to help people obey them. Now, for someone who teaches reasonably regularly in the church here, that is quite a challenge, and it's certainly one I want to rise to. And so, really, those two things together, my, my experience meditating and reflecting on Jesus' teaching and the straightforward demand he gives in the Great Commission to teach all of his commands Those two things have shaped my decision to begin this series on the Gospel of Luke. Now, as some of you will be aware, there are in fact four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Each one provides their own biographical sketch of Jesus, emphasizing, I guess, different aspects of what he said and what he did during his life on earth. So Matthew is written primarily to those who have something of a Jewish background. Mark to those with more of a kind of Roman background. John to those who are Greek in their way of thinking and reasoning. And Luke is written to those who are Gentile, those who aren't privy to a Jewish background of reading the scriptures and going to the synagogue. I guess people slightly like us. Hasten to add, although there are four Gospels, They all tell the same story of Jesus, but from slightly different perspectives, a bit like our newspapers today. So, for example, the Daily Mail is written from a different perspective to The Guardian, which is written from a different perspective than The Sun. They they all often report the same stories, but choose to emphasize different aspects of them. It's kind of what it's like in the four Gospels. Now, Luke's Gospel is actually the longest 
of all of the Gospels. It's made up of 1,151 verses or so, I am told, 568 of which are simply the words of Jesus. So if you want to know what Jesus had to say, just read Luke's Gospel. Roughly half of Luke's Gospel is simply quoting verbatim the words of Jesus. And, as you may know, Luke also wrote the book of Acts in the New Testament. They're kind of a a prequel and a sequel. They're both historical biographies. Luke's Gospel telling the biography of Jesus, Acts telling the biography of Jesus' people, the early church. And taken together, these two books penned by Luke provide the largest contribution to the New Testament. Paul wrote the most books, but some of them are really incredibly short. If you take time to count the number of sentences and verses and words, Luke is actually the primary contributor to the New Testament. Luke gives us more of the New Testament than anyone else. So, all of that being said, I want us to dive in and see what Luke has to say. We're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1. While you're finding it, uh, just to say, we're going to be using the New Living Translation of the Bible for this whole series. The Old Testament, as some of you all know, was originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek with bits and pieces in Aramaic as well. And so the Bibles that we have at our disposal today are translations of the original text. Some are more literal, others place more of an emphasis on readability. What I've found with the New Living Translation is it really helps to bring some of those accounts of Jesus alive. And so that's the version we're going to be using. If that isn't a version that you have, or maybe you haven't got a Bible with you, the words will appear on the screen behind me so you can follow along. Just going to read the first four verses of Luke chapter 1 this morning. Then I'm going to say a few things about them. This is what Luke says Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honourable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught." Now really, all I want to do today is pick out a few of the things that Luke says here by way of setting the scene for the rest of this series. I want to tell you a bit about Luke, the author, who he's writing for, why Luke is writing this gospel, and maybe what we can look forward to as we go on to read more of what he has to say. First of all then, what do we know about Luke, the author? The answer is, actually, not a lot. We don't know much about Luke because he doesn't talk about himself a great deal. He didn't write three books of the Bible, one about Jesus, one about the church, and then one about himself. No, he wrote one about Jesus, one about the church, and then he was done. He doesn't seem to be all that bothered whether or not we know all about him. He wants us to know all about Jesus. He wants us to know all about the church. However, from what we can piece together, Luke is probably not a Jew. Luke is a Gentile name, which means he's non-Jewish by background and heritage. So like many of you, he didn't grow up going to church and meeting with God's people and reading God's Word. Now Luke is only overtly mentioned 
three times on three different occasions in the New Testament. But each time he's mentioned, we do learn something new about him. For starters, we learn in Paul's letter to Philemon that Luke was a fellow worker with Paul in his missionary work. He travelled with Paul uh, uh, around the known world at the time. Elsewhere, Paul refers to this one occasion where everybody's deserted him. It's like Paul was always getting into trouble, people trying to murder him, He ends up in the middle of riots. He's regularly thrown into prison. As a result, the fanfare around Paul kind of dwindles. People don't want to hang out with him much anymore. And what he says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 is, everyone's gone. They've all abandoned me. I'm on my own, except for Luke. What a great insight. Everyone else gives up, but Luke is faithfully still there with him. We also know from Colossians 4 verse 14 that Luke was a medical doctor. Now, if you've ever wondered how science and medicine fit with the Christian faith, Luke's a great example. Luke was a man who studied medicine and was formally educated. And we'd say here at Church Central that absolutely that's what Christians need to do. Love Jesus and be involved in the sciences and in the world of medicine. For those who say, well, I feel that God's calling me into medicine in some shape, size or form. I I need to go to med school or I want to become a doctor or a nurse or a surgeon. We'd say, Praise God. If God's given you that that kind of a mind and you're academically capable, you're intellectually gifted, then then use it to serve others and give glory to Jesus. Luke is a great example of that. So, talked a bit about the book, a little bit about the author. I want us now to turn our attention to the recipient. What do we know about the person who Luke is writing this gospel Four. Well, in verse 3, we see that Luke addresses his writing to the most honourable Theophilus. Now, any parents out there looking for kids' names? I mean, there's an idea for you. Theophilus, great name. Uh, in fact, uh, he's the recipient, uh, Theophilus is the recipient of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as well. So, I want to just tell you a bit about this guy, Theophilus. First of all, I think it's pretty stunning that the longest book in the New Testament is written to just one person. I mean, does God love the world? Yes. Does God love all the nations, all the people groups of the world? Yes. Does God love all the cities, the towns, the villages? Yes. Does he love individuals? Absolutely he does. Here go to such great lengths to actually have a book of the Bible given to just one person is an indication at least that God is directly interested in our individual lives. He knows us all and yet he doesn't deal with us like some kind of a herd. He, He deals with us individually. He deals with us personally. That is a great comfort to me. And so this man, Theophilus, received these two books of the Bible. Now, it's thought that he's probably a government official. Well, when he's called the most honourable Theophilus or the most excellent Theophilus, that is a state title. And uh, later on in the book of Acts, that same title is used on three separate occasions speaking of Roman governors. So that at least implies that this man Theophilus is wealthy, he's educated, he's part of the Roman government in some way. He's also a Gentile 
like Luke. The name Theophilus isn't a Jewish name, it's a Gentile name. So he didn't grow up reading the scriptures and praying and worshipping with God's people. He's probably either a new convert to Christianity or else he's seeking to find out whether or not it's actually true. It's like he's wondering, is Jesus really God? Did he do what I've heard he's done? Can he really forgive sin? Did he really rise from the dead? Has he really made it possible for us to have relationship with God? Is all of this true or not? You see, he has a lot to lose in publicly declaring himself to be a Christian. Because back in that day, Caesar was Lord. And as a Christian, Theophilus would declare, not anymore, Jesus is Lord. As a Roman official, he'd be expected to say, my highest allegiance is to Rome, it's to my nation. But in following Jesus, he would have to say, no, my highest allegiance is now to Jesus' kingdom. And as a representative of the Roman government, he would need to say, the worship of all gods through the empire is equal. But as a Christian, he'd have to say, no, Jesus alone is God and Saviour. Now, of course, this would potentially get him into a great deal of trouble with his boss, Caesar. That This could get him fired, this could get him into lots of legal trouble, maybe even thrown into prison. This could cost him his income, his job, and his prominence. And so, here's this man wrestling, perhaps as some of you are, with faith. Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Jesus? Do I belong to Jesus? Am I willing to go public? Am I willing to go to my Facebook page and kind of click Christian and just sort of let that be known out there? Am I going to blog my testimony so everyone hears about it? Am I up for nailing my colours to the mast and getting baptised like five people in the church are going to be getting baptised later on this morning? There's a lot at stake and so he hires Luke. He says, Luke, I need you to go and find the truth go get the facts for me, go go find out exactly what happened around this man Jesus and come back to me with a full report. Now, this is a classic ancient way that someone who'd been funded would acknowledge their benefactor. They'd dedicate their play or their poetry or their book to their donor. They'd acknowledge them right up front. And that's what Luke is doing here in his introduction to this gospel. We're supposed to understand that Theophilus paid for two books of the Bible to get written. His generosity would have allowed Luke to take several years out from work to go and do all the eyewitness investigation. So why is Luke writing this gospel? Well, this is how Luke himself summarizes his purpose. In verse 3, he says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honourable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Luke is writing to try and persuade this Roman official, and probably others like him, that the Christian teachings which he has heard really are true. You see, Christianity isn't merely some kind of philosophical system. It claims to be a historical reality. 
It's all built on this man, Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Which is why Luke's quest to figure out exactly what happened is so incredibly important. It was crucially important for Theophilus, and I'd suggest it remains crucially important for us today as well. Because there are many people today who think of the Christian faith merely as a leap in the dark, It's an illogical decision. It's embracing something without there being a whole lot of evidence of its truth. And so, if you ask a person why they believe the gospel, why they follow Jesus, all they can really say is they feel it's true. But that is not the way that Luke understands faith. First of all, he's not content with the evidence that Theophilus already has from those who have taught him. What's more, he doesn't merely pray for God to break in and somehow tell Theophilus it's all true or show him it's all true. He he undertakes a very heavy intellectual task. He writes a two-volume, 52-chapter book, all for the sake of confirming to Theophilus the truth of the Christian teaching that he's heard. Elsewhere, in Acts 17, verse 11, Luke praises a bunch of people called the Bereans for testing the Apostle Paul's teachings to see if they are true. This is what he says. He says, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and at the same time examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Luke was eager to encourage just the opposite of a blind leap of faith. Examine what's being said, look into it, test it, weigh it all up. Luke was eager to encourage examination of the evidence, as was Jesus himself. When recording the resurrection of Jesus and how the early apostles came to faith in the risen Christ, Luke says in Acts 1 verse 3 that after his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and, get this, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke with them about the kingdom of God. According to Luke, Jesus was very concerned to give proof of his resurrection. Jesus didn't want to encourage some kind of blind leap of faith. In fact, he was so concerned about giving his followers fully adequate evidence that he was alive, that he stuck around for 40 days. So Luke believed. It was, in fact, very important to try to persuade people of the truth of Christianity. That's why he took it upon himself to investigate the evidence until he was personally convinced by the weight of proof. How did he do it? Well, it seems to me, really, there there are two basic ways that we can come to be convinced of something. One is to see and hear it for ourselves then draw a conclusion from that direct encounter. The other is to have a witness tell us about it if we weren't there in person. And in the second case, our certainty depends on our estimation of the reliability of the witness and the way that their message fits into reality as we see it. Now, neither Theophilus nor Luke 
nor I guess any of us, ever saw or touched or heard Jesus when he was on earth. Luke knows that all the knowledge that Theophilus has of Christ and in all likelihood that he will ever have is secondary. It's got to come from witnesses. So if Theophilus or any of us is to be persuaded that Christianity is true, we must be convinced of the reliability of the witnesses. So Luke takes the time to explain to us how he collected all of his data, how he did his research. He tells us he gained his information about Jesus from two main sources. He says many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. He's talking about the written documents that you would have studied and poured over and and kind of looked into. But then he says in verse 2, they used the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples. So, not only are there many written sources which Luke can use to corroborate each other, but even better, he has direct access to the eyewitnesses themselves. He's able to confirm in his own narrative by the personal testimony of people who were actually there present in person. Now, it's estimated that Luke's gospel was written around 62 AD. The book of Acts was written around 63 AD. That's roughly 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so the window of opportunity for interviewing the eyewitnesses to these events is closing and closing fast. You can imagine Luke charging around the countryside trying to catch the key eyewitnesses before it's too late. He's, he's going up to Peter. Peter, you were there. What was it all like? Going up to Jesus' brothers, James and Jude. Look, everyone says that Jesus never sinned. You were there. You were his brothers. Is it really true? I mean, if anyone would know, you would know. He went up to Mary. Mary, tell me, what was it like when the angel showed up and you were still a teenager? And the angel said that as a virgin, you would give birth to God. I'm seriously, what was your first reaction to that? I mean, it's, uh, uh, was it this kind of uh, famous song that people said you sung? Was that how you really responded? And, and what was Joseph's initial reaction? I mean, tell me how that went down. I'm your pregnant virgin girlfriend. Seriously? When you were bathing Jesus and changing his nappy, did it seem weird that he was God? How was that for you, Mary? He hears about someone who claims they were healed by Jesus. Let me go and meet with them. Were there eyewitnesses? Is there corroborating evidence? Can I meet with your doctor? Can Can I check out, read through your medical records? I mean, I don't know if I mentioned, I'm a physician. I want to double check these healings to see if they are fact. This takes years. This is massive amounts of money. This is him going from town to town. Oh, there were shepherds in the field. Hey, where are those shepherds? I need to speak to them. It's like if he doesn't capture this information, it's gone forever. Think of him as part crime scene investigator, part detective, part investigative journalist, part historian, 
part Indiana Jones. That's Luke. That's why I get kind of frustrated when people say, oh, I just don't believe it. Really? Did you talk to Mary? Did you spend years of your life going to Nazareth and Capernaum and Bethlehem and the Sea of Galilee and interviewing the healed woman and Jesus' family and his closest disciples and the crowds who witnessed his resurrection? If not, you shouldn't, you mustn't just in some kind of cavalier way dismiss it all. You've got to do a little homework like Luke did. Explore it for yourself. At least be willing to follow the truth to wherever it leads. The famed 20th century archaeologist William Ramsey put it like this. He says, Luke is a historian of the first rank. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. And what Luke tells us is, yes, some of the people like Matthew and Mark, they've written some things about their experiences with Jesus And what he says is, having carefully investigated everything from the very beginning, I also, on reflection, have decided to write my own careful account. It's like his careful and thorough investigation went on for many years. And I get this. I can't say that I've done as much as Luke did, but I became a follower of Jesus for myself as a child, And I'd say I've been on an investigation to get to know him more and more ever since. I've got over a thousand theological books in my own personal library. I haven't read them all, but I'm getting there. I've been studying for years, traveling, meeting with scholars and academics and Bible teachers. Luke says, you know, I've done this investigation I've been examining the written documents and the eyewitness testimony. I decided it's time to write it all down. And what he's saying is, though there are other Gospels like Matthew and Mark, I feel like I've got something of my own to contribute here. So before we finish, let me just tell you what Luke contributes. We're going to be studying this Gospel for well over a year now. What have we got to look forward to? Well, as I told you at the beginning of the sermon, there are, in fact, four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have 60% of their material in common. But there are some aspects of Luke that make Luke a very valuable contribution, one of which is that Luke is almost entirely chronological. So if you are a historian or sequential data matters a lot to you, whereas some of the other Gospels are arranged theologically or thematically, Luke's is arranged chronologically, a few kind of minor exceptions, but it's almost all in order. Furthermore, there are 41 parts of Luke that aren't in any of the other Gospels. And had Luke not investigated it and written it all down, and had Theophilus not funded it and commissioned it, we wouldn't know any of those 41 things about Jesus. So there's some real treasure in here that you can't mine, you can't get anywhere else. For example, if you are young, and a lot of you were thinking you're young, if you're still at school, you will really love Luke because it's basically the only information that we really have about Jesus as a young child and growing up as a young man. Additionally, if you're a woman here, 
you're going to love Luke because Luke speaks frequently and very graciously about women. He, he elevates the status of women in a way that other ancient religious writers simply don't. And so you already get to know some amazing women in Luke's gospel, two of which are pretty legendary, Mary and Martha. If it, if it weren't for Luke, we'd never have heard about those two ladies. Their exclusive cameo appearance is in Luke's gospel. Also, if you're short, you'll love Luke, because Zacchaeus is in Luke. It's the only gospel that Zacchaeus gets a mention in. Remember the short guy who climbed a tree? If you're a short guy and you like trees, you'll love Luke, because it's the only place that Zacchaeus shows up. Maybe one of those people that that loves the parables, because they're arty, they're kind of poetic. You're going to love Luke, because it includes two-thirds of all Jesus' known parables. There are a few parables that he includes that no one else does, like the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. Or if you're struggling financially, again, you'll love Luke because he talks a lot about money issues in very real terms. He shows that Jesus himself was poor, that Jesus loved the poor, that Jesus had a heart for the poor. And if you love miracles and things that are supernatural, and the power of Jesus, you'll love Luke. He's a physician going to double-check the miracles and the healings in order to verify them historically. There are four of them that are unique and exclusive to Luke's gospel. And then finally, perhaps most importantly, if you don't know Jesus, or maybe you have serious doubts about him, then more than for anyone else, this book really is for you. It's kind of a gospel for skeptics. Luke would say to you, I've put together a thorough work for you from things I've read, from eyewitnesses who were there and saw it, and 30 years later were still telling the exact same story in the exact same way. I've tested it. I've researched it. I've picked it apart. I've found it stands up to the most rigorous scrutiny. So you really do owe it to yourself to look into it. So that's what I want to invite you to do. If you have a Bible, why not sit down over the next week or so and read Luke's Gospel? If you haven't got a Bible and you came with someone else who's part of the church here, why don't you just kind of ask them, keep nagging them for a Bible. I'm sure they will get you one. Maybe you don't know anyone else in the church, you haven't got a Bible, you'd like to read it. Uh, Grab me or or grab Mark uh, during the break in a few moments or the end of the meeting. Uh, We will make sure if you come next Sunday, there will be a Bible waiting for you. Read Luke's Gospel for yourself. Why not? Come along over the next few Sundays, leading up to Christmas, where we'll be working through the first few chapters of Luke, kind of looking towards the evidence surrounding the birth of Jesus. What's it all about? Did it really happen like that? Come and find out over the next few weeks. Or in the new year, as we continue in our series in Luke, come back, look at the evidence from the Gospels about Jesus. Who was he? What did he do? What's the relevance of it for our lives? Come back and find out. Also in the new year, We'll be running a course specifically aimed at people who have questions about the Christian faith. (laughs) It's much more coherent than I'm making it sound. It'd be great if you're interested to to come along to that. Again, have a chat with Mark or, or myself, one of the other leaders in the site here. Love to tell you more about it. Whatever it is, won't you take a step, wherever you're at, whatever your experience, 
Why don't you take another step towards looking into and finding out more about Jesus for yourself? Because more than anything else, I want you all to come to know more of Jesus. I want you to grasp more of the truth of who he is. I've that to absolutely transform your life.